K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend just keeps on coming with this little ditty that reached up to 21 in May of 1970. This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? My guest today is Jessica Regan. You may know Jessica as the co-creator and co-host of the excellent Best Pick podcast, one of my favorites, along with Tom Zielinski and John Dorney. She's also an award-winning, RADA-trained actor who's appeared on stage in the West End, New York, and L.A., and on screen with roles in the BBC's hilarious ill behavior, Call the Midwife, Silent Witness, and Doctors. You may recognize her voice from her video game work, Witcher 3, or Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and if all of that wasn't impressive enough... She's recently added author to her resume. Best Pick, A Journey Through Film History and the Academy Awards, will be released this February from Roman and Littlefield. What you may not know is that Jessica is also a massive Quentin Tarantino fan. In fact, when she was a guest on the quiz show Celebrity Mastermind, her specialist subject was the films of Quentin Tarantino. And I'm so pleased that she's able to join me. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. You are a big Tarantino fan. I sure am. Okay. I've heard you talk about your love of Tarantino. And when I heard that, I'm like, I would love to get you on the podcast. So tell me, take me back. When is the first time you remember seeing a Quentin Tarantino film? Okay. Well, my first time seeing a Quentin Tarantino film was Pulp Fiction. Mm. And I was 12 years old which is on the one hand way too young and on the other hand one of the best things that ever happened to me um you know I was already I was a film buff kind of from the age of of I would say six or seven like truly that's no exaggeration like I my parents have the most impeccable wonderful taste and you know they knew I wasn't really into kids films outside of maybe the Spielberg canon and they would like let me watch like Betty Davis films and, you know, these they were like, oh, you know, sophisticated plotting, but not unsuitable is a lot of films from the 40s and 50s. So um, I, I was I was just a, a devourer and just just adore. And I'm great for my parents to plant me in front of some classic for two and a half hours, you know, um, the wonderful so- babysitter. Oh, completely. And, you know, there were no, no, no screen time back then, you know, it was, it was a look at the draw. It was on the Sunday afternoon film on, on television, on terrestrial TV, no streaming. So um, I kind of had this, I, I just loved plot, story, character, loved theatre as well. And I I got into, um, I, I just remember the world losing its mind about Pulp Fiction. And I had just started buying Empire magazine. Uh, which was losing its mind over this young gunslinger called Quentin Tarantino. And my dearly beloved friend Fiona's uh, brother, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, um, he was, you know, he was he was <laughs> of the age where you should be watching Tarantino. And he had this incredible VHS library of wonders. He had, 
he was a total art house fiend and also like you know like your Science of the Lambs your your Francis Ford Coppola's your Scorsese's he was just it was an unbelievable VHS library and he would kind of suss out our reasons we'd be like can we watch Pulp Fiction he'd be like why do you want to watch it and we'd be like because because he's the voice of a generation and um and he'd be like okay that's the right answer because we were watching it for nerdy art house reasons we, mm-hmm. we truly were those people like you know so those, those nerdy theater kids so i um i watched Pulp fiction first and we just were i just remember being absolutely electrified like i could feel every hair on my body stand up i could just i was i was gripped by the throat and and tarantino didn't let go just even like like all the the um the non-narrative, the non-linear narrative, oh. the, the the little visual delights of like don't be a square. Um, Uma Thurman, sort of being a woman I hadn't seen before, even though she was a femme fatale, she was so much more. She was so much more interesting than actually that. That she was a sort of total fuck up as well. Mm-hmm. Well, are we allowed to swear? Go are ahead. We? Okay, cool. Well, it's Tarantino. It's gonna be hard not to. You can do whatever you want. So then I was like, whatever I can get my hands on, and then Reservoir Dogs was the next. Uh, we, we we sort of prized it from Kevin's hands and he was like, okay, only because I think you appreciate him. And we watched Reservoir Dogs and that completely sealed it for me. I actually preferred Reservoir Dogs and I fell deeply, madly and passionately in love with Tim Roth. I don't know if he listens to the podcast. I, I understand he's he's a, a very happy, uh, happily married man. However, you know, I have been in love with him for see, 25 years, so... He should, you know, that should count for something. No, I, I jest. But it really was uh, Tim Roth's performance as Mr. Orange that made me want to be an actor. Because when I found out he was British, I lost yeah. my mind. He's remarkable. I completely lost my mind. And and the commode story, oh. it, that whole sequence, the commode story, just watching him command the screen like the stage. It's extremely theatrical. Such a theatrical device the way the, the commode story, the intercutting with that, um, and just how he seamlessly had blended into this world. And I was looking up everything I could about him and, and he was that, you know, just like, it's Brit, you know what I mean? And I was like, what? I didn't know, I, I thought like Americans are Americans and English were English. And I, I just, I, it blew my mind as to, as to what was possible. Um, and also his pain acting, just that kind of the huge choice. Um, and like you think, I, I find nothing remotely traumatizing or disturbing about like obviously there were things particularly in Pulp Fiction that were uh-huh. disturbing but this heightened reality that it was in it felt like this just another world that this isn't happening in my world this isn't happening down the street I'm not scared that you know Zed is going to come in and his yeah. chopper like you know what I mean I'm not afraid like you know and also I think I, my parents have talked to me about deliverance being like oh you're not old enough yet but you just that's one further that's one you gotta see so you know I just I was able to hold those narratives in my mm-hmm. head and not be disturbed you know and um so I think with with um with Reservoir Dogs as well I found myself just utterly bewitched by the the the, the tightness of the script the craft the humor you know like seeing tough guys it wasn't like good guys bad guys everyone was there was something likable about most yep. of them. And then, um, yeah, just the kind of, the, it just it just totally seized me. I was that right age, right time. Some might say too young, but actually I, I don't think so. I think I think I, I had a t- a, such a grounding in cinema at that point. I had a little distance, you know. Um, so, so that was kind of, you know, so it was a long wait until I got to see a Tarantino on the big screen, you know. Uh, so, you know, then obviously 
uh, Jackie Brown came along. Oh. Um, and I did, I still had, I got to see that, but like, you know, I was allowed to see that. <laughs> I was, a, and I, I was a grown up by then. Um, and I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. And even though it was this departure in tone in lots of ways, I actually think it's probably his best film. I, 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 I agree. I agree. Um, Do you? Yeah. Um, Tell me what you think about Jackie Brown. I think Jackie Brown is a remarkable film. And what's interesting, um, actually, I, the, the, the podcast I guested on, I talked about the film Out of Sight, which is another Elmore Leonard adaptation from around the same Lovely period. Film. Yeah, I think Out of mm. Sight is better, but I think I think Jackie Brown, I don't know if it's just that he has a story that he's working with. And so like some of the excesses that he he does later on, um, he doesn't fall into. I think it's tight. I think mm-hmm. it's impeccably cast like perfection. He has an, uh, Tim Roth. I mean. I was much older when I, not much older, but I was older when I saw Reservoir Dogs. I was in high school mm-hmm. and being a bit of a, you know, a, 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 an Anglophile, I watched a lot of British TV. I'd only heard British mm-hmm. comedians do American accents. Like, so John Cleese mm-hmm. doing like this really broad or Benny Hill doing a really broad, terrible accent. I had no idea that British actors could actually do impeccable American accents until Tim Roth. I was some, some can do them. <laughs> yeah, and, not and truthfully, <laughs> and you'll appreciate this, you know, uh, being being from where you are. Um, but the Irish are historically better at American accents because we have a rhotic accent. We have roticity. We pronounce our oars, mm. whereas uh, a lot of the Southern Brits here don't. Yes. Um, which I do think makes Tim Roth's achievement all the more remarkable, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but apparently he was so driven, so demented by his dialogue coach. I don't know if you know this, no. but he asked if she could be the woman in the car that he shoots. <laughs> of course, you torture me. I'm going to shoot you. But listen, hey, she she saw your right, Tim. She yeah. she like she saw your right because it, it really is Absolutely. impressive, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I, I was really surprised when Jackie Brown came out because that he did an adaptation. He was so known for his, you know, his vision, his voice. Yeah, yeah. He's probably one of the film, few filmmakers working today that you can really tr- apply the auteur label to, even though that's incredibly problematic. Mm-hmm. I think Sally Mankin doesn't get enough credit for editing his films, um, the early ones. But uh, I think in fa- I actually think in fairness, uh-huh. That, that that's utterly correct but uh, that is one thing i wouldn't lay at his door no because he he described her as as his one true collaborator yeah yeah you know and he he absolutely i think he did actually credit sally yeah um who you know god rest her there's there's a lot of quotes in that you know that he he yeah. really mentioned in championship and really saw her as like a total as a peer as an equal mm-hmm. not someone who but you know very like um Scorsese's relationship with Thomas yeah, Schumacher, yeah, you know. Yeah. We 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 just hang on to this idea of the 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 white male auteur. Um and it, yeah, beyond him, he doesn't exist. No, it really, really does. You know, even um Orson Welles had like the greatest cinematographer oh, of all time. Yes. You know, John Toll. And in so and this in this network of actors that thing. he that he'd worked with for forever. Like, you know, the the, the mm-hmm. it's a much more collaborative thing. Yeah. Now that Tarantino has done a number of films and I'm assuming you've seen them all multiple times. Um, like how do you see him changing the way that he makes films? Like obviously the loss of, of Sally was, was significant. I think he, there's a couple of films like, I don't feel he's quite, I don't think he could ever replace her, but he hasn't found anyone who can do to his work what she did. So he struggles a little bit, 
but I also think like there's, there's some different vision and stuff. What do you think? Yeah. I, I think, I think what's a bit of a shame is that, um, from research I've done and interviews I've read and books I've read, it, it does seem that he panicked after Jackie Brown, even though it is just the most sophisticated, fantastic film. It wasn't, you know, like, because, you know, the world had lost its mind twice already. Like it was a lot to expect, yeah. but he was this young, you know, young, dumb and full of his own <laughs> gumption. Like, you know what I mean? He was, you know, I'm not going to say that word, but you know what I mean? He was just like, he was, he was so kind of um, like needing it to, to like and more and more and more and and he freaked out. Yeah. And I think that made him go, oh, I'm not going to adapt again and I'm not going to go down that road again. Yeah. And I think it's a real shame, even though I adore Kill Bill. Uh-huh. I loved what followed. Yeah. Um, and I, But for me, I would have loved like a Jackie Brown and then Kill Bill and then another Jackie Brown yeah. and then a Kill Bill. And it's, it's never kind of gone back to that. I think funnily enough, Once Upon a Time in America is his... Um, closest uh, return to, and in a way, the fact that he conceived it as a novel yeah. um, originally uh, is is a return to that that sophistication in lots of ways. But that's probably what, it's one of my least favorite films. And I think because I think Tarantino actually, when he has female characters, they're awesome, and I think his films really suffer. Like Reservoir Dogs, in a way, is is a critique of of, of hyper masculinity yeah. and the ridiculousness and the pettiness and how. It's totally all they're undoing. All the posturing and um, pettiness is what brings those men down. You know, nobody has their eye on the ball, mm-hmm. um, except in fairness, Mr. Pink in a way. Um, he's the only professional, as he keeps saying, but like kind of the, 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 the sort of the, like it's almost just quite misandrist in lots of ways, that film. As much as he can be accused of misogyny, he can definitely be accused of misandry as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really did suffer from not having um, one of those fantastic Tarantino female characters of which he's well able to do. Absolutely. And I think as well, the hateful eight suffered a bit from that as well. Uh-huh. And it truly is like, come on, like, yeah. 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 And, and I think, I think it's, it's a shame in a way that I, I think is, is, is weaker films. I feel are, are always, um, are always kind of uh, suffering from that. Whereas the, the, like, like Inglorious Bastards, I think has this incredible female role anchoring it in truth. The whole two, two amazing female roles. Actually, Diane Kruger is, is fantastic as well. Um, you know, they, they're brilliant roles and they anchor it through all the machismo. Um, and I think he he would could do well to return to that. And it was such a shame there wasn't a more interesting female on screen in um, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I, I, I watched that twice. I went to see it in the cinema twice because after I saw the first time, I thought, okay i'm not sure and i went back yeah and i was like there's nothing here mm. there's nothing here it really rests on the charm of leonardo and brad but what i, what I would say maybe to speak a bit more to your point is i think that tarantino I, th- I feel like leonardo dicaprio's character is very much young tarantino oh yeah yeah and he wants to and he wants to be the brad pitt character mm. the kind of the grizzled old timer who's very unflappable and does the right thing in the end. Yeah. You know, so it is kind of all a projection. And of course, you know, he's going to get Leo and Brad to play projections of himself, you know. I, I would. Uh. <laughs> yeah, sure. I would, you know. <laughs> in fairness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I think I think it's a it's an incredibly astute 
uh, observation about the, the 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 female roles. Um, I, I think yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, it just there were there were things that I liked in it. Yes, but yeah, like and it wasn't it wasn't the episodic nature. I, I some people suggest that maybe that's what I didn't like. I I have other no, other films. That, we're down for those, yeah, but like. A, it's it's the fantasy revision of history, which I think he he also did in in Inglorious Bastards. You know, kill Hitler, save mm-hmm. Sharon Tate, but I didn't find Sharon Tate interesting enough. It was too close to home, I think. But you know, who doesn't want to kill Hitler? Yeah, yeah. Like that. That's that's everyone wants to kill Hitler. Let's go. Let's see that film. Sure, mm-hmm. particularly when it's like through a genius plot of of you know this um, survivor. Yeah, but. Um, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it felt like uh, unsavory. And I don't think it was as exploitative as a lot of people I had anticipated. Mm. But it just was like, you're kind of using her as a device and that's all she's ever been used as. And this is not respectful. Yeah. And this is this is not, it's, you know, in a, in a way, I think the fact that he left her a bit mysterious was was as frustrating as it was that there wasn't more of her I can see what he was trying to do I mean I do actually think the intentions were weren't were noble in lots of ways kind of going you know she's goodness and she is she is mother and she is light and if only if only if only we could just live in this world but the fact is there's so much darkness swirling around all of that um and it's I was like don't touch it dude just don't touch it just just (laughs) you're really good at plot yeah like do a thinly veiled one, like just do do something else, you know? Yeah. Um, and it struck me as well. It was one of the very few times where um, I thought the casting was really off of the Manson gang. They, they felt really contemporary, you know? Yeah. They felt really contemporary in, in a way that in fairness, um, the kind of the, 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 Man- the Manson, Margaret Qualley, I think her name is. She she felt kind of period, you know. Mm-hmm. But the when they were going driving in the car and they were talking, they sounded like teens of today, and that's not like him. No, you know, no. I was just like, these they sound like fucking TikTokers. Like, why <laughs> this isn't this doesn't make me feel terrified, and or I should feel just the sinister. I don't know. From from, but he's so proud of it. He loves it. it you well, know, he, so. he wrote a novel out of it, or has produced a novel. He loves yeah. it. He loves it. Yeah, um, and it is, I suppose, a, 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 a love letter to television. You know, sure. Um, you know, which which I understand. Um, I kind of wish he'd stayed in the TV world. I, I loved the bit with you yeah. know. Um, I I loved all the onset stuff. I loved all. I just sort of I thought it was um. It was trying to do three things at once, I think. And normally he's the best man for doing three things at once or 10 things at yeah, once. Yeah. But for me, it felt, I felt really excluded from it yeah. a lot of the time. And I wanted, I wanted to like that one so much more because I felt, I find hateful eight very just um, not distasteful, just like uh, underwhelming. Um, sure. I respect what he's trying to do, but it's interesting. You said of reservoir dogs, all of the characters are, you know, shades of moral gray, but they're still likable. Mm. I didn't find anybody in Hateful Eight likable. Like I couldn't, I, I feel like I could get into anybody. And while I appreciate using 70 millimeter stock. To do a, a, a movie in a room. Yes. Cheeky, cheeky man. Yeah. Like, sure. Yes. Like, yeah. okay. Uh, it's an interesting idea that the execution isn't great. So like I had so many, 
I had so many expectations for, for once upon a time in Hollywood. I mean, and, and you know, tying it into at least by the Ooh. title, the spaghetti Western and, and Sergio Leone's once upon a time in America. And like, okay, this is going to be this big story of Hollywood. And, you know, Tarantino loves Hollywood more than anybody else I know. Yeah. But yeah, it just, ah, Maybe it was just one for him, you know, and I, and I get that. And he's allowed. And he's, that's fine. You know, he's allowed. I enjoyed The Hateful Eight. And when I watched it again, I enjoyed it again as well. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, the, they hated what um, Jennifer Jason Lee, that character. But I was like, I love seeing disgusting, vile, horrible, murderous female characters, you know? Yes. Um, and I'm sorry. She looked like she was having the time with life. She did. She did. And she's a wonderful actor and an underused actor. Oh, and I'm sure absolutely. everyone wanted that part. And I thought she was hilarious. I thought she was so funny. And I loved how, what a provocateur she was, you know. And I think, you know, there is the, the thing that's, you know, hard, sometimes very hard about Quentin Tarantino is that in earlier interviews, there is this kind of misogyny in some of his, the way he talks, mm-hmm. um, like a real kind of internalized, doesn't stand out except with this lens now and knowing now it's uncomfortable to know that he always does the throttle shots that he always uses his hands to strangle an actor it's uncomfortable to know that he always spits in an act in an act and i mean female actor yeah. as well he spits in a female actor's eye mm-hmm. you know um the, there's a really t- harrowing kind of exchange between um uh uma thurman and the actor who played bill in kill bill yeah. David Cardine, mm-hmm. where she said, you know, he's meant to be like my best friend and collaborator. Like he, he tells me he loves me all the time. Why is he always covering me in soil, spitting in my eyes, strangling me? Like it feels like this. She started to feel really tortured and monstered, mm-hmm. you know, as as time went on. Um, but it's interesting to see, like, I think, again, like the, the Leonardo DiCaprio character in Once Upon a Time in the West, he's, you know, he's married this. He kind of marries this woman and mellows. And, and having seen Tarantino talk, um, I went to a talk of his about two years ago, right before the pandemic mm. shut everything down. Oh, the good old days. Was, <laughs> the good old days, you know, and he was so mellow and contented and not the cocky young. He he re- he seemed like this kindly dad in double denim. Mm-hmm. You know, he really and he 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 was praising to the skies all the people he'd worked with he, he wasn't yeah. there was no cattiness he was grateful he was humble you know so everything i've seen recent from him um in interviews and things like that he just he seems like that edge is um that that angry edge is gone and i don't think that that's a yeah. loss i think that that is a gain um no but it, it's interesting you brought up his relationship with actors he's always managed to cast such interesting looking people like from Steve Buscemi very early on in his career. Mm. Um, you know, Pulp Fiction just has all these wonderful little, oh, that person, like Rosanna Arquette's in it. Like you forget that. Uh, t- yeah. Eric Stoltz. Sure. Um, yeah. uh, and as an actor, yeah. what, what are you looking for with that side of your identity when you're watching a Tarantino film? People seem to be enjoying themselves. Jennifer Jason Lee, like what are you seeing mm-hmm. on screen from the actors? Such such a great question. I think I think it's why I, I do see actors, I feel, having the time of their lives. Mm. You know, uh, one of my favorite performances in one of my not favorite films is Samuel L. Jackson in Django Unchained. 
where, particularly when he has that transformation, mm. when he stops his little, and then he just kind of goes very still and he's like, what do you want? And I was like, come on. And like every, everyone says it like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, they say, when that call comes up on your phone, you just drop everything. You just drop everything. You do anything for the man. And as much as there have been these, these stories um, of like him doing the throttling, mm-hmm. He does have this thing on set. He has all these rules on set where you can't sleep on set, yep. you know, because sometimes people might find a little corner, doze off. He's like, go to your trailer, have a rest, but mm-hmm. don't sleep on, don't be asleep on my set. And also no smartphones, no tablets, none of that. You're here, you're present, you're engaged, or you're in your Winnebago. And I love that because it's it's like, guys, we're the most privileged people in the world when you're in that position. You know, it, you are you you are getting to tell stories with the best through the best lens ever. And, um, you know, it, it's like about really appreciating it. You know, like a, a friend of mine was on set recently with another actress <laughs> nameless, and um, they were filming and uh, the, her her the, co- the, the other actor in the scene was like, come on, come on, you've got it. You know, kind of really wishing that they weren't going for another take. She's like, I really need to pee. Like, come on, let's go. Let's go. And I'm like, oh, no, (laughs) like, I don't know. I just I'm of the school of um, I it's such a hard job that unless it's the best of times, like, why would we do it? You know, you know what I mean? Maybe I'm getting a bit personal going off topic a bit. But the way Tarantino describes that set and his rules is exactly the way. I like to play. I hate uh, people on their phones in rehearsal rooms. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate disengagement. And that's why, you know, I don't believe you should be called all the time, say, when, when you're doing a play. You should be called for your scenes. You shouldn't, you know, sometimes some insecure directors will call you from nine till six and you might only be used for two hours. And I don't see the value in that. Mm-hmm. I think call us when we're needed. And, but when we're there, you have to give 110%. And I, and I love that about his... Um, his way of working you know it, it's he's like there's a, there's a documentary called um full tilt boogie have you ever seen it oh yeah i mean again he comes off as just this goofball having the time of his life yeah you know so it was really shocking the revelations about the screaming arguments with uma thurman and kill bill the mm-hmm. putting her nearly killing her yeah. truly endangering her life yeah. withholding the footage all that stuff um but i do like the rumor that's very much come from Quentin himself with his kind of podcast tour that he did to promote his book of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that maybe he'll do an, a, a sequel to Kill Bill with Uma and her daughter. I I would love to see that. I would love to see him I actually would, go I back. I think that is really how yeah. he could make it right. Yeah. You know, and and Uma and there should be a huge campaign for Uma to get an Oscar. Like I mean, I'm really jumping ahead. I mean, as no. they didn't have but I just think she deserved an Oscar so much for those films and she was um, sidelined by Weinstein um, and unsupported by Tarantino Um, and there was there was so much you know she lost so much doing those films and she turns in really every time I watch those performances they get better and better and I watched it again recently for another podcast uh, Flix Watcher uh, which is really fun really really good really good podcast that kind of goes through the back catalogue goes through what's on Netflix so it's very helpful curation yes um, of films but anyway um yeah, I think like that's it's like her and like when when she would when uh, the bride would say, you know, me and Bill have unfinished business, you know, and or Bill would say me and that woman have unfinished business. 
Tarantino and Thurman have unfinished business. And if he could in any way make up to her what he did by giving her the role of her life and for her daughter then to, to play, it, it could be extraordinary, you know. We'd, we'd, we'd love to see it. I wholeheartedly agree. I hope this doesn't turn into one of the rumored projects, you know, that, that never materializes. I know that he wanted to do a Vega Brothers uh, movie that never materialized. There was talk of him mm-hmm. doing a Casino Royale with Pierce Brosnan. Uh, before Craig got got that would have been really? a, he want if if I remember correctly and again you know the Hollywood rumor mill he wanted to do mm-hmm. it set in the 1960s and filmed in black and white with Pierce Brosnan as the ending of his time as Bond. I don't think the Bond I don't think the Bond producers would touch a director like Tarantino. Honestly, they'll mm. Sam Mendes is a fantastic director, but he's not he's not a household name. Well, he's a bit like um, William Wyler, you know, he's yeah. like, like he can just do, he can jump around genres. And that's sort of what you want, I think, from your Bond director. Of course, everything's impeccable. Everything's great. Yeah, just the safest pair of hands, yeah. classy, you know. Exactly. If you were going to introduce somebody to Quentin Tarantino who'd never seen him, you have a 12-year-old friend who... <laughs> <laughs> What are you showing? I have, I, have, I have a 12-year-old, I have a 12-year-old niece and I haven't brought her near him. Yeah, I have a 13-year-old niece and I'm not sure she watches aliens, so maybe maybe Tarantino. I don't know. I saw aliens around that age yeah. and actually it was great. Yeah. I loved yeah, it. Very but again, aliens, I think it's 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 um you know, actually I couldn't aliens messed me up more than Tarantino when I was that age because I couldn't eat eggs for like a year. Truly. And I love it. I couldn't after the nest scene. I was like, no, oh, it. no, 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 I'm, no, I'm out. I'm done. I'm out. Me and eggs. I'm out. <laughs> well, yeah. What would you show somebody to introduce them to Tarantino who had not seen him uh, a film? I think, you know what, in a, in a way, I think possibly Inglorious Bastards. Mm, okay. Even though it's not my, it doesn't sound like, uh, well, maybe it's really hard. I think, I think, you, I think you have to jump around a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so strange now as well, like how uncomfortable some of the dialogue in Reservoir Dogs is. Yes. And I love it. I love Reservoir Dogs so much, but like, oh, that's a lot of white men saying the N-word a lot of the time, yep. over and over again, you know? And he's hardly saying, you know, this is this is America's finest, yep. you know? He's hardly, but it's still like, oh, like it's, it's so... Who would I? I don't know. Like I think I'm, I think Gen Z would just be like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" Show, <laughs> you know. And, this, um, and the same thing with Pulp Fiction. I mean, it's Tarantino who has that one. Oh, you wince. Yeah, you wince when he's saying it. I saw it in the cinema recently, Michael. Oh. Uh, when cinemas reopened, and I was like, you know what? I've never seen Pulp Fiction on the big screen. Oh. It's I went in. I was having the time of life, and then when I was like, Quentin, stop it! I know. I know. Like, there's no need it's just so grim um it, you know it, it's really uncomfortable now yeah it's really uncomfortable yeah but you know at the same time he doesn't put that word in the mouths of upstanding citizens no you no, know no. That, uh, that's the but that's no excuse but no. it's how i can just about wince past it you know and yeah it's awkward though funny you had only seen pulp fiction in the theaters recently so i was in, yeah. i was in university first year university when pulp fiction came out that's when it was released and that's when it hits and yeah i'd seen reservoir dogs and i knew this film was coming out and i was the f- film geek reading magazines and i knew this thing was going to be big and i went and saw this film in the theater 13 times 
in its original run. I took different people every time because it was like I need to. It was like I was evangelical about this. Like you have. You saw it thirteen times. You're my brother, Michael. And I don't think I ever paid full price. (laughs) But like, and I would I would bring people like you have to see this movie. And it got to the point where I knew the film so well that I'd be like Mm. sitting watching them. Like when the Marvin scene happens, like. Oh my gosh. I want to see people jump. Like it was so much fun. And then I bought it on VHS and I didn't watch it for like 15 years. And it's only Mm. recently I went back to it and I was like, this is, this still holds up. Like in terms of what he's doing, Yeah, the the races, the racist language is, it's hard to get past. It's really hard to get past, Uh but Uh yeah. Yeah. Also, so is his acting, you know, I mean, just (laughs) dude, like, so in a way just fast forward his bits because then you kind of skip out a lot of the racist language and you skip out his terrible acting yes you know he's he is a dreadful actor i'm sorry he he absolutely is a dreadful actor he's dreadful the the only performance that he ever put in that was that that is notable and worth worth mentioning of course was uh in an episode of the golden girls in which he plays in elvis impersonation fantastic but why he thought to give himself an australian accent in django unchained like crimes Oh, those crimes oh crimes that you're was, going to jail yes. you're going to acting jail yes you know i guess i respect the idea that like he's just having fun and doing whatever he wants and he's one of the few directors still working in hollywood that apparently can do whatever he wants he like, can do whatever he wants yeah, yeah he can so, he can um yeah so um what is your least favorite tarantino film death proof hands down out to lunch twice on sundays hate it hate it and I think it's a deeply dark and sinister film mm-hmm. because I think that there is, uh, are you telling me casting Rose McGowan was a coincidence in order to torture her in a Weinstein film? Yeah. Because she was, she was coming for Weinstein yep. um, because she hadn't signed an NDA. She'd taken a settlement, but she hadn't signed an NDA because she was like building up to it. And then she was in a relationship with Robert Rodriguez and mm-hmm. He was doing this project with Quentin and it was like, why don't we cast Rose McGowan, you know, and who's going to turn down that part? And, and it, just looking back at it, it's one of the most shockingly violent deaths. But, you know, what really strikes me as well. I remember somebody talking about the making of Death Proof um, and saying, yeah, because, you know, in the bar scene, like we, Quentin was like, we're drinking. And like, and Quentin's in that scene mm-hmm. and they are really drinking and they're getting drunker and drunker and drunker. And I think at one point, like he it was, oh, I wish I could remember exactly what the words were. But basically, I think I think maybe he he fell or someone fell and it was it just sounded like it was out of control it sounded like it was kind of the most out of control he's ever been which is still not that out of control going by a lot of 70s yeah assholes um but like we shouldn't measure by that you know it just i think it's a really joyless film and i think it's a really indulgent film i agree i like for for a film that is i mean overtly emulating the grindhouse films it was meant to be the most fun it should have been the most fun. And it, you're right. It's just, it's, it's kind of dark and bleak and, and unfun. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't made the, the Rose McGowan connection, but you're absolutely right. Tarantino has this, you know, he's forever linked with Weinstein. And I mean, he was mm-hmm. dating, he was dating Mira Sorvino, who has been named as somebody who was basically blacklisted by Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear him talk a little bit about it now. Um, as he he does seem to be more mature and Mm. acknowledges some things were not great Mm. but I mean 
if you're a fan of something, there are disappointments too. <laughs> Talk to any yeah, Harry Potter it, fan. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the thing is, I think with the Weinstein, the Weinstein thing, um, Uma, Uma talked to him about it. Mm-hmm. Mira obviously talked to him about it. Yep. Daryl Hannah talked to him about it. Daryl Hannah barricaded herself in her hotel room in Cannes to stop an attack. But there was this narrative like, oh man, poor Harvey. Yeah. Like, it's so embarrassing. This is the attitude kind of from, from Quentin and, and from Brad and, and people like that who, who were like, oh, it's so embarrassing. Like, it's just so embarrassing that he keeps on trying try, trying it on mm-hmm. with these women that he's no chance or hope of. Yeah. And there was that kind of like, oh, I'll talk, you know, I'll talk to him. And, you know, seeing him as this kind of lonely loser when in fact he was this predator, unbelievably calculating evil predator. And while the people wanted to keep the party going. Yeah. And I think it's important to own that. And I think yeah. in some respects, he has owned that, that he's like, yeah, it will obviously, you know, it didn't super suit me to, he, he just didn't, I think nobody had ever kind of come to him and said, I've been raped by Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. I think that as far as I know, and I'm sure I'll stand corrected. I think, it, but from what I've read, and this is all, and I've read, you know, Rolling Stone articles and all kinds of things, because I want to be careful what I'm handing over my money to in terms of tickets. Like, much as I love the man, I'll fucking walk away. Absolutely. And I think that he, I think that he, he, he saw Harvey as this father figure. Um, and he, uh, as it, but but it, it suited him to play it down. It suited him to reduce it in his mind. And it suited him to think those women can look after themselves. Like they're movie stars. They're fine. Yeah. You know, um, but like he, he was, he was, everyone was complicit, complicit yeah. in omission. Yeah. You know, if Quentin Tarantino turned around to Harvey Weinstein and said, I will never make another film for you. If I hear one more report of this, like you, you should, if you want, like, that's how you be an ally. And he yeah. ain't that. No. no, he ain't that. And that's disappointing. Um, and I think he has more to do. I think he's done more than a lot, but mm-hmm. I think he has, he, there's a lot more he could do. Yeah. I think as well, he's deeply traumatized himself, truly. And I'm not making excuses, but hearing him talk to Joe Rogan, and I don't like listening to Joe Rogan personally, but I will listen to an interview with Quentin, you know, God, sure. it was such a, it was like a circle jerk. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it was like, yes. okay, boys, calm down, calm down. Um, so I'm really interested to hear his interview with Mark Maron, actually. I imagine that might be somewhat... Joe Rogan pushes him a little bit. He he does bring it up in fairness. He could have yeah. pushed him further. But Quentin just keeps, he really is like, it's like he kind of can't bring himself to really look in the eye of, of what he was um, unwittingly in lots of ways, but ultimately complicit in. Because yeah. it just did suit him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to not delve, to not dig, and to not, and no one else was. No one else was out here going, things are shit for women in Hollywood. So, you know, he was he wasn't he wasn't exactly like he he stayed in line for this rebel, you know, would have been a real if this like bad boy of cinema, this rebel author, but would have been really damn rebellious, would have been to stand up for women, protect Uma, all those things. And he did none of those things. But like the shame is palpable. The shame is palpable, yeah. I do think. It's just the atonement is still to materialize. You know, because I'll tell you, I I am um, I was asked well, how all this came about the podcast and uh, you know with, with Tom's and and John was I was asked to be on Celebrity Masterminds. Yes. Um, 
and my specialist topic, of course, is Quentin Tarantino. And a couple of weeks after I'd selected the topic, um, the film's Quentin Tarantino, it, the news broke about Harvey Weinstein. Ooh. And I was like, I, I didn't want to, I was like, do I change the topic? Like, what do I do? Uh, having done like all the research, rewatch all the films. And I thought, no, I'll just make the donation to a, to a rape crisis center, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was like, and I, I, I'm kind of like, well, what have you done, Quentin? Where is your donation? <laughs> you know, like, and that's what I, I, maybe he's doing things privately that we don't know about, but it would be like, you have unfinished business. Yeah. And as your film Kill Bill shows, karma catches up. So like, let's take care of some business. Yeah. You're a public figure. Do something public. And as you pointed out, there are some strong female characters in Inglorious Bastards, but there's a bit of a bit of a dry patch um, since Kill Bill. Mm. Mm. Um, so, mm. you know, I think Kill Bill 3 would be a really nice attempt to, to, to reconcile some of that stuff. Um, yeah. And just please don't cast him don't cast yourself in a part. Yeah, I think he's learned his lesson that way. But I, I, I love how this has basically gone from talking with those attorneys, you know, to giving him a lecture, like to, <laughs> to schooling him. Here's what you need to do. You know, I mean, also like, what the hell do do I know at the end of the day? You oh. know, but at the same time, you know, when you're 27 years a fan, I think you get to say a thing or two and, you know and to me that's one of the things you you at any right or you at any moment have the right to say i'm out because of something something's happened yeah. and i've definitely done that with fandoms uh over the years just yeah i'm done with this you had to walk away from michael honestly buffy the vampire slayer more recently i've oh! really str- i really struggled with that really struggled with that one um, and there are some things that I hang on to. Um, there's a there's an episode in my archives where I talk to a woman local who puts on a, a an event every year or has you know non pandemic times of a sing along of the, the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. musical episode mm-hmm. and the Doctor Horrible sing along blog and it's just a wonderful event. People dress up. It's so much fun. She's reconciled her her um, her, her feminist mm-hmm. uh, beliefs with 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 mm-hmm. her fandom. I. I can't go back and watch right now. Um, wow. So that's like, uh, wow. yeah, that's, that's a really hard one. I'm so glad it came out though, you know, particularly like how charisma Carpenter was treated and, and all that. But what, what I would say is like, I don't think he's making any money from that event. No. no. And it's also celebrating Sarah Michelle Geller's phenomenal achievements and that's i mean goes back to the thing that we said earlier about the auteur theory that every Mm. every production every film every television show is a complex network of people who are contributing that if you back out of one you know you could still be supporting somebody like sarah michelle geller who i gotta say like she has handled herself incredibly in the in the in the wake of all this all all these revelations she's phenomenal and and yeah just the utmost respect but uh, like yeah woody allen is the other one um, I used oh, he's to... su- well, he was super easy to walk away from, yeah. ultimately. I mean, <laughs> hasn't made a good fucking film in 20 years. And don't tell me Blue Jasmine is good. It no. is not. No, 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 no. It is not uh, good. Bullets Over Broadway was the last good film he made, I think. Um, um, I would I quite like Celebrity. Oh, right. Enough. Okay. I kind of get not lost. Not terrible. In... And that's because Kenneth Branagh is in it. So it was yeah, actually I... like a bit of a reprieve. I love and, Kenneth and, um... Branagh. But him playing and, Woody and, Allen, I, I just don't need. He, oh, totally. But uh, yeah, no, he he also, like, for me, Woody Allen is actually not a craftsman. 
he's he's a gag merchant. He yeah. does some really good gags. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. really good at a visual gag, visual visual pun. Um, you know, like the sneezing of the mm-hmm. cocaine in Annie Hall, all that. Yeah. Like, is yeah, lovely. Yeah. But actually, like, um, like Blue Jasmine is such a mess when it comes to like this woman who can't work an iPhone and the locations. Like, why is Sally Hawkins in a beautiful what seems like a brownstone meant to be this like working class sister? Utterly fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Um. And to me, I don't, I don't see craft or a plum. I see an agenda with gags. Yeah. Um. You know, and some, some nice shots in New York. I think he had a period where, like, he was, he was a solid filmmaker. I do think the Annie Hall years, kind of into maybe the eighties. That's true. His craft but, has deteriorated. Yeah. It, it did deteriorate. But um, what's a, a film that is, I think a mer- a kind of a miracle of a film. Hannah and her sisters. Yes. Yeah. So oh, there, there are some. There are that's some. That's such a gems. great film. And there's no creepiness yeah. in it. No, there are some absolute gems in there, but I can't go back. I used to teach Annie Hall because um, in my intro to film class, because it's just it's so interesting and it's combining you know there's animation in there, there's visual mm-hmm. gags, there's mm. and I show it, it was probably six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. before the hbo show uh documentary mm-hmm. and i was like mm-hmm. i can't do this one anymore i just there are other filmmakers they're better filmmakers as mm-hmm. much as i mm-hmm. the soft spot i have for annie hall i'm 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 very mm-hmm. happy to let it go i'll 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 do lady what? killers oh and 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 and, and wonderful and and well done but i am um, we we watched uh, we had a live show for annie hall for the podcast yes you know because it was um it lent itself to obviously before the HBO documentary and it lent itself to, um, you know, it was, it's a short, it's one of the shorter best picture winners. So that's why we picked it for the London podcast festival. And I remember because it's an age appropriate um, love interest, you know, mm-hmm. utterly, you know, like, you know, I remember thinking oh, this, this will be okay. Like I couldn't really stomach Manhattan, but I, I can stomach this. Mm-hmm. And actually, holy shit, there's still some incredibly questionable stuff in there. Like when his friend talks about twins, Max 16, yeah. you're like, come on, dude. Yeah. Like it's just, and also there's a real, there's a real, he, he fucking hates Annie as well. Yes. Like he kind of thinks she, he makes her feel like she's really stupid. Uh-huh. He's so rude to her at times, you yeah. know? And it's that thing where he, and this, oh God, it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and, but then you get like that lovely Christopher Walken moment out of nowhere, you know? <laughs> or uh, Colleen um, Dewhurst. Yeah, what he oh. can get in the bin. My friend Deborah, Tom, Tom's wife, I yep. think she came up with, with that great kind of, um, that great meter, I suppose, where she felt like if you, if you're walking out on an agenda, mm-hmm. that's easy to do, which I think a lot of the Woody Allen films have this agenda of young women, young women, young girls, young girls, young girls, young girls. Uh, just just it's kind of grooming us to accept these relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I truly don't think that's any exaggeration. No. It's a normalizing and glamorizing of these relationships. And then um, but then you have to say something like American Beauty, oh. where. Yeah. You you it you don't want to watch a Kevin Spacey film, but also Gannett Benning is superb in it. Yeah. Thor yeah. Birch is superb in it. Like, why should we minimize their achievements because one guy is, you know, an asshole? So it like you're saying, there's such a community and so many collaborators it takes to to get something made, you know. Um, but if it's a, if if the agenda of the film is to sell you yes. this perspective. And it's interesting how much an agenda 
Woody Allen the films are like it's just so obvious mm. now and I don't know if it was just people couldn't see it that people did see it and were willing to excuse it like I'm just not sure because I'm not that old that I would have you know been around when those films were coming out but mm-hmm. um, yeah just it's so it's so uncomfortable now to watch and that's I'm happy to give that one up um, yeah it's fine. We're fine. Yeah. And I feel a bit similar to you with Buffy. I rewatched Buffy during the pandemic right mm-hmm. before it kind of really came out with the revelations. And I'm so glad I got that last rewatch in. And I feel like, you know what? I'm good now. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. There's, there's you other, know. there's other, there's lots of TV. Um, I'm so far behind on TV now. I, I, I don't need to rewatch something that makes yeah. me uncomfortable. So. Yeah. yeah. It's that sense of complicity, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see Tarantino's legacy? You know, we're five, five, 10 years down the road and we're looking back over the filmmaker. Let's imagine he actually retires at 60, like he has said. Mm-hmm. What do you think he's contributed to cinema? Um, we don't ask simple questions here. <laughs> no, you don't, but I love it. I love it. This is great. These are great, great questions. I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. Thoroughly enjoying myself. Um, I think, um, I don't think his legacy is going to be what he originally thought it would be. No. I think his legacy, uh, there'll be a very long shadow cast by Weinstein. Mm-hmm. And if he'd gotten out sooner and, you know, that that's much like a lot of his characters, you have to live with the choices you, you make and, and the consequences, you know, yeah. of these choices. Um, but what I think... Um, I think there is a, uh, what I hope his legacy is, is that people go, holy shit, there were all these amazing films made for, like Pulp Fiction cost 8.5 million. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was original. And and the kind of the, I think that he will definitely um, kind of carry the light, carry the fire of independent films, of, of, outrageous outlandish storytelling um and pure pure cinema because uh, you know that's the thing as as complex as your as the relationship with tarantino he 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 i always feel like the warmest of embraces when i go to see his films mm. i always feel like it, there's like even he's like thank you so much for coming to see my movie yeah. here's some treats yeah. like and there is a lot of joy um kind of uh, and that's why death through state stands out as a joyless affair it's a good word and he looks miserable in it you know it, it wasn't a good time it was a bad time um and i think that um yeah i really think that it will be the kind of well what were the 90s about what was it what was independent filmmaking tell the children um and you will look at, at tarantino and much more so i mean he really you know he he really stands out from his peers and um that you can have, uh, that if you have a really phenomenal script and you cast it well, you don't need a whole lot of money, you no. know. Um, you don't need special effects. Like, uh, and listen, I'm, I'm a big effects girl. I, I love um, sci-fi and I, I absolutely do. You know, I, lo- I love action. I love all that. I'm no genre snob. Yeah. But when people go, what we lost in the age of adaptation and the age of Disney, which we talk about a lot in the book, mm-hmm. um, you know what we lost in the fire of this kind of these these this, this age of adaptation and, and age of disney um is that that 
that crazy voice that got that got some money to tell some wackadoo stories and um yeah i think that that yeah i think he he will he will always define 90s indie I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think we see, we see some really interesting um, ripples to other directors. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, it's visually Edgar Wright is very different than Tarantino, but mm-hmm. his, That's use, fair, but influenced, his use know. of music is, mm. you know, like, I mean, the last, the last full soundtrack I bought was the baby driver soundtrack. Cause like mm. it, that music was great. Um, and I can't wait to see last night in Soho. I so want to see that film. Um, but, um, but also like his just championing of other films, filmmakers, Yes, like like he brings in Sonny Chiba into, into, into Kill Bill who like hadn't been on an American screen since the seventies. He, you know, the, 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 the original Django is in Django Unchained and just that, that love of film, the love, the love, you know, that's the most beautiful part of him. Yeah, is the it, really, it really is. Uh, the only the, the first time I, I experienced the films of Wong Kar Wai was the Rolling Thunder, which was Tarantino's per, um, mm. video distribution company for a while in mm. the in the in the mm-hmm. late nineties. He produced mm-hmm. a video a VHS copy of Jung King Express. I'd never. Yeah. You couldn't get a lot of international cinema, at least in Canada, mm-hmm. at that point. And yeah, he also did Switchblade Sisters, which is terrible. But he, like Wong Kar Wai, is an amazing filmmaker. I love his films. I never would have seen him uh, if it wasn't for Tarantino. And he just champions film. He do- he champions film. He he's he's a tireless advocate for cinema, like in fairness. And he also um, he's not a snob. No. I love that about him. Like he he will talk about how he loves nothing more than when he's on a plane to like queue up a Kate, the latest Kate Hudson rom-com. He 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 devours rom-coms on planes, you know, and there's no snobbery or I feel like and I think he's terribly excited by actors, thrilled by actors, you know, he he just is and all you know he and and Come to your to your point. I think you mentioned, like you know, like your your John Travolta's, your Robert Foster's, these yes. these people whose careers he gave a second chance to. Also, like it's not easy to do what he does. It's and there were so many imitators after him, and they all fell by the wayside. You know, and it you showed it like you know you can't just kind of have guns and fast talking. Like I think his his love of cinema inside and out mm-hmm. will be the kindest way history will treat him yeah i think you're right but there's no guarantee history will treat him like that no 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 absolutely not would you be up for some quick back and forth quick answer stuff sure so four questions answer as quickly as you can okay what was the first thing a young jessica regan was a fan of never ending story watched it every day (laughs) (laughs) Literally never. Come home from school. I watched Never Ending Story. We used to watch it every day. Of your two best pick pod co-hosts, who's geekier, Tom or John? It is a dead heat. I'm sorry. It is a dead heat. They seem to have unique geekinesses um, from each uh-huh. other, but some some overlap. I I love how, how some overlap, but honestly, like just when you think Tom's out in front door, he will make some insanely obscure reference, like. <laughs> Oh, the dead heat. Yeah. 
I love your dynamic. I love your friendship. Thank you. Thank you so much. What is the geekiest thing you own? And you can define geeky however you want. I have a little um, figurine of Sarah Connor. Ooh. Yeah. That was a gifted to me by uh, my sort of collaboration chief, Joy Wilkinson, who herself has a, her arm is tattooed like uh, Terminator. Oh, it's the coolest thing in the world. That's commitment. And when we discovered we were both obsessed with the Terminator, we were like, oh, well, you're my friend forever. <laughs> is there something, Jessica Regan, people think you would be a geek for that you just for some reason have never been able to get into? Listen, there's a, an awful lot of British television. I mean, tons that everyone assumes I watched as a kid. And I freaking didn't. I, we could only get two channels where I was. Not because it was Ireland. Ireland could get the channels, but we were in the absolute sticks and there was trees and bad reception. So we only had Irish channels. So like, there's a whole, like, you know, I'm always being asked, oh, you remember this from me? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So that, you know, thank God Tom and John have each other because I cannot talk to them oh. and, and I can leave them to it. It's good for our friendship that they have each other because that I cannot contribute to. <laughs> <laughs> well done you <laughs> i'll edit that long laugh out thank you no you're you should leave it in brilliant oh where can people find you on social media if they want to find more about what you're doing what you're up to all right well please follow me on twitter at it's jess regan all lowercase um they're like anything to do with with acting or uh best pick for movies in general, that's kind of my 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 klaxon that I, I tend to employ. Um, and I'm on Instagram at j.reeks. Um, that's probably for more personal uh, glimpses into my life, um, but it's very much a public account. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's where you can find me. Um, I'm hoping to be back and forth to your part of the world, to North America, um, um, in 2022 to promote the book that we have coming out, Best yes. Pick. Um, a history of films and the Oscars. Uh, well, a history of films and the Academy Awards, I should say, um, where our, all our research has kind of been uh, collated and uh, it put into something digestible, we hope. And yeah. um, more than a reference book, more than a point of view, you know, we, we hope people like it. So, I'm very yeah. much looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's released in February, but you can pre-order it now wherever fine books are sold. This is true. Is there anything else, Jess, that you have to say? Um, you know, every time you listen to a podcast about Quentin Tarantino, go investigate a female filmmaker you've never heard of. Yes, <laughs> so, do. you know, have some balance in your life. So uh, I recommend um, who shall I who shall I champion? Uh, watch Titus Andronicus, uh, directed by Judy Taymor. If, yes. if you if you are bloodthirsty. If you're tired of and bloodthirsty, that's a good movie. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been Thank wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's oh. been an absolute pleasure anytime, Michael. Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoyce. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for. <laughs>